Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Michael P. for Pat. Patrick. Patrick. (laughs) Patrick Davidson (laughs) is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Michael is the CEO of Gen Next and the Gen Next Foundation. Both are built upon the premise that what leaders in a society pay attention to has incredible consequences for human thriving. Together, they make up an eclectic community of high-powered and purposeful leaders committed to shaping a world that is free, just, and prosperous for future generations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He wakes up each morning to tackle our leadership deficit, education, economic opportunity, and global security. In fact, Gen Next Foundation's counter-extremism work has been featured in Wired, Bloomberg, Axios, ABC News, Interpol, and the U.S. Congress, and the White House. You need to be Googling Michael Davidson. Michael has held leadership positions in a range of for-profit and non-profit areas, including concierge medicine, education media, civics, and more. He lives in Southern California with his beautiful wife, Jenny, and their four children, which we will discuss. He plays guitar like an amateur. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come on. He's a fanatical learner, and he has a has-been wrestler and judoka. Yeah, well done. Judo. Yeah. Yes. If you ask nicely, he'll draw foolproof diagram explaining our bicameral legislature. Welcome, Michael. You're our first non-Seattle traveler for the podcast. Really? Yeah. I've listened to every episode. Really? So uh, that stands out to me that I'm I'm, the first non-Seattle. I'm I'm cavelling. Do you know what that word means? No. Cavelling is a Yiddish term for like, I got spilkas. That's another Yiddish term. (laughs) Cavelling is like, I'm feeling touched. I'm feeling like... Okay. All warm and fuzzy. Oh, good. Then me yeah. too. So thank you. Okay. Rapid fire. Rapid since you, fire. Since you've Ooh. listened, then yes. you know. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Since you read like voraciously beyond, um, how many books do you read a year? That's not part of the rapid fire. I'm just curious. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. Probably f- 30 to 50. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. And what book do you recommend most frequently to people that you know well? Um, I would recommend, well, it kind of changes with the season, but I guess it's rapid fire, the theory of moral sentiments or how Adam Smith can change your life. Okay. All right. Um, and if it's fiction, Goldfinch oh. and heartbreaking work, a staggering genius. Okay. Good to know. If you could have dinner with any person in history, not alive, who would it be? Uh, Jesus, Mohammed, Moses, Margaret Thatcher, and Susan B. Anthony. All together at one dinner table. Yeah, like table. a dinner table. Oh, my God. You will like host. Yeah, and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Okay. <laughs> what is a habit that you are trying to break? Oh, a habit I'm trying to break? Yeah, you can be honest with I, us. I think, wow. I think it's more a matter of I'm trying to force myself into certain habits. Okay, so what for, which ones are you trying to I want to make sure I meditate and journal every single day. And are you doing And that? I want to be present. I'm doing it five, probably five times a week. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, Probably almost a year now, maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. 
game changer. Really? Yeah. The 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 game has been changed by doing that. Okay. It's yeah, it's very important. Now you referenced meditating a couple times I on know. this podcast. I know. I'm hope I'm hopeful that maybe it'll like it's like aspirational if I talk about you it. You maybe just, it'll happen. No, you just you just need to do it. You just do uh, it. I keep hitting delete on my like calm app. Ugh. It's totally worth it. I think I just being present and having a good time. Yeah. Well you're good at that. You always make everybody feel really special. That is one of your like well, thank one you. of your genius qualities. It's very good. Um okay. If there was a book written about your life, whoa, what would the title be? Depends which Michael we're talking about. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, Gen I, Next CEO Michael. <laughs> this sounds silly, and it's not—it's definitely not clever. But I think just he tried and he cared. I like that. Yeah, I Michael think, P. Davidson. I, think I admire uh, effort. Yeah, Quite getting in the ring. Yeah, I like that. Ring. I like that. If you could come up with something a little this more glamorous, one, no, but I the like arena. That. Whatever, we'll hire a brander because yeah, we will sure. be writing a book. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not my job. My job is to have you on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have another. I have one. Okay. Citizen Dad. Citizen Dad. I like that. Yes. Write it down so you don't forget when the book yes. comes out. Okay. Um, this one's easy. What's your cocktail of choice? Margarita. Like? Cadillac margarita. Okay. Because that was that from your like health kick that you were on, and you like took out all the sugar and yeah. No, Cadillac I, I just, is the clean one, right? No, that's the fancy one with oh. with the Grand oh. Marnier and oh. oh yeah. Oh, I see how you roll. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get down to business. <laughs> but I like all and cocktails. About... My ties, you name it. Gin and tonic, <laughs> give it to me. Have cocktail, will travel. Yeah, please. Um, okay. So tell me, I met you as the CEO of Gen Next and an incredible organization that I'm proud to be a member of. Tell me about you, like. Old school you. You in fifth grade. Were you smarter than a fifth grader? Fifth grade. <laughs> Me in fifth grade. Um, so I was fifth grade. I, would think I might have been still Where were you what raised? Where were you raised? I was That's... raised in Orange County, California. Okay. Uh, but North Orange County, so near Los Angeles in a tiny little city called La Palma. Uh, I have three older siblings and two younger siblings. So for a long time in my life, I was the youngest. And I think I developed some of those qualities. And then... I was the middle-ish, the fourth, mm-hmm. and I developed some of those qualities. What are those qualities that you're talking about? I like think you know, birth you, order you, stuff. The youngest, you're kind of like you're. I think you're spoiled. You you entertain. You keep people happy. Uh, by the middle, you're sort of stuck. You don't know. You know what what exactly your role is in the family. And then as the oldest of the youngest, then you're the leader. You have the you have the responsibility. And so, different seasons in my life, I was able to experience those. Uh, different roles in the family, and mm-hmm. I think that I experience that in life yeah. now. But yeah, so my siblings, I, it goes girl, boy, girl, boy, me, and girl, boy. So oh. in, the, in fifth grade, I don't remember wow. what age that would make me, but it might have been around the time. I my think fifth grade's sister. like ten. Yeah, so I was. Uh, then my little brother would have been born around that time. Yeah, and so were you sporty, nerdy? Oh yeah, curious? I, trained, I trained all the time. So. As a kid, five, six years old, I would be running bleachers at the college and training for wrestling and judo. And um, I got did you to spit compete. into cups and like wear? I didn't spit into cups, but I did cut weight. I did wear trash bags. I did. What go weight in class saunas. were you in? At that age, I have no idea. But I mean, when you were competing in so like it, high school, I, right? I, well, so I injured my back then. So as a child, I was very competitive. I got to travel around the world, which was cool. Well, I got to travel to uh, former Soviet bloc and Russia, which was pretty exciting, and then around the country to compete, but. Um, hmm. You yeah. need to wrestle Joel Mazzastrano. Have you guys ever had that conversation? No, but I I, I know that he, oh, yeah. he did. He's so hardcore. I got a, I got a bond. With I'd him like to about see that. who can pin who. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to. <laughs> sure. I don't even know. I'd like to just watch. I'll have a Cadillac margarita. Like operative on the side. operative word C. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to watch. 
I'll be a boy. Yeah. So I was very big into athletics and um, as growing up, it was a good time. Yeah. And I know that you've talked a lot about your mom as a key influence in your life. Yeah. What qualities do you think you got from her? Ooh, uh, ex- I think com- acceptance, compassion, tenacity. So nice. when I was around the time I was a teenager, we, uh, my mom, my little brother and sister and I moved to Texas and started over. And so I got to live on a ranch and observe my mom. You know, worked through a pretty tough time. Um, and I asked my mom once what her philosophy was in, in life or in parenting. And she said, I just wanted to accept you guys no matter what. Oh, my gosh. And so I think we all need to take a lesson from it her. Was, uh, yeah, so that's a pretty powerful. I, and I feel like uh, my wife and I have, you know, that's one of those values we have with our kids. They're each very unique, big personalities, and we sort of see them for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she, she was like... tough, though. She was tough. I definitely had the moments But who of, gave you the you guidance know, to, like, get good grades? Because clearly you did. You went on to uh, go to Berkeley. and. Thank you. I, I, well, my dad and my mom both had high expectations. And then I, and then I think my older siblings is just, I think all of my siblings have a a desire to perform and achieve. Mm-hmm. And was it hard for you moving from California to Texas, and then did you go back to California after that? Yeah, for college, for Berkeley. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say it was it was different. I don't know if I'd say, Such especially in retrospect, it, it grows you very a lot. Yeah, yeah, but it was cool. I, I got to live on a ranch. I bred, broke, showed draft horses. That's so cool. Uh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. And so, have you been able to maintain those relationships from childhood? Yeah. Are those people like in awe of what you're doing? I mean, you're really having an impact on the world, which is not many people can say. I think they still think I'm a, a goofball as a kid. Well, you are. You can be both. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I appreciate that. But I think I'm just a, a goofball. You're a goofball. Yeah. Okay. So were you I think like so, class as clown? a kid, they would. I was just, I think I was always trying to be kind of lively, making people feel good and, yeah. and happy. You're, and that's you're, always been who You're I was. great at that. And so how did you choose Berkeley? It was actually, I actually was fortunate to be accepted to this rigorous honors program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm glad someone came into my class in high school and pitched this program to go dive deep into the, in the humanities. Um, and it was at a community college. And so I got to go to community college for two years and it was some of the best experience of my life. And I um, really helped expand the way I think about learning and I think about curiosity in a way that I never had been exposed to. I started to get inklings of it in high school, but it really kind of blew my mind. And then somebody, I started to speak up. I was very, about being very purposeful. I actually thought I was going to do drama conservatory before this because I was applying at some of the major drama conservatories in the country, but I was doing theater. And so I thought I would pursue theater. I got to do all these really cool plays, which are funny stories, but I don't want to digress too much. (laughs) And so after that, I decided, okay, I'm going to go normal academic route and I'm very purposeful, and somebody challenged me to go to a place like Berkeley. And I, to be honest, I don't think I could have told you where it was on the map. And I mean, um, Berkeley. Is I knew like it was in California. Hard to get into. I knew it was in California. And I knew it was famous, but I didn't know uh, anything other than that. And so I, yeah. I went. I remember going with my mom and my sister to get my apartment to live there. The first yeah. time I visited there. Yeah. So what did you end up studying at Berkeley? Political science. I thought I was going to do psychology and political science both, and then I eventually just did political science. Yeah. And so when I think of you, I think you're like, I don't know, deliberate, mindful, um, careful about your choices. Thank you. So were you that person in college? Like, where'd you go Um, right after college? I don't know. Uh, Right after college, I tried to get a job at an adoption agency. Uh, I didn't get the job. Mm. To do... 
I just wanted to work there. I don't know. It was back in Texas. I thought I'd go back to Texas and get that job, but it didn't work out. And so then I ended up working for sort of a management consultant on government performance. And they do kind of think tank work Mm -hmm. on government redesign. And I was was an incredible experience. And I got to do that thinking about government performance, government redesign uh, based out of San Diego. And this was at the time when the recall, California recall was starting. And Mm. so Arnold Schwarzenegger was launching his political career. Um, So I got sucked into a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was that the kind of beginning of your um No, it was in college. Cuz you're going to ask about, me about yeah. that. It was yeah. just I I think the role I played in my family of um or my family experience thinking about how ideas have consequences, how the idea of family has consequences, the idea of relationships, the idea of your your sense of the world. Um I actually I mean, I could, if I could digress for a second, I don't know, but actually, it's not a you digression. You can digress it's totally for longer re- than a second. It is totally relevant, actually, okay. to your question of how I yeah. got into sort of this, you know, cause business, so mm-hmm. to speak. So when I was a kid and I got to travel to uh, the Soviet Union and then, again, Russia for wrestling and judo, I'm wrestling there. And, you, you know, I'm still a kid, but I'm wearing Russian warm-ups because you trade okay. kind of primary competitors. And I'm wearing these Russian warm-ups. And I was walking around uh, Red Square, and a translator or a, this military mm-hmm. guy says, "You know, hey, Amerikanski, Amerikanski." And um, so, like, I thought I was fitting in. I was wearing the Russian warm-ups, and he says, uh, "The translator says he wants to know if you're an American." And I'm like, "I'm wearing the warm-ups. How did he know?" You know and and he says, uh, "They speak." He comes back and he says, uh, "He said he could tell you're an American because you walk like you're free." Oh. And that had the most profound impact on me and I don't I didn't intellectually understand it I just thought the way I walk and at the time you you would trade gum for a military watch or jeans for something much more you know rich and um, and the the whole idea of America as a you know the 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 beacon for the world was alive and well and, mm-hmm. and so that, it just stuck. Mm-hmm. And I started getting very romantic about the idea that there are ideas in the world that shape us in the most subtle ways and the simplest ways that end up having a very transformative impact. Mm-hmm. And did you feel at the time kind of quote unquote American and proud oh, of Oh yeah, American? very patriotic. Very patriotic. I'm, yeah, very, I'm and a what very did patriotic that, what did that person. mean to you? Uh, what does it mean to be? Yeah, I mean, American? we had a Jeffersonian dinner talking about this. Yeah. Like, just what does it mean, and when did you feel it? And everybody has very different answers. It's actually yeah. kind of fascinating. Well, I mean, you still get uh, you still get themes. It's actually we do these delegations around the world with with Gen X, and I yeah. think an American could still answer the question like, what does it mean to be an American? It's like, well, mm-hmm. the pursuit of freedom, responsibility, justice, equality, you know, e pluribus unum. Well, some people just in, say like burgers and hot dogs. Yes, I hope that wasn't the case at our Jeffersonian no. dinner. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like it's actually since so, then I want to ask people questions like this. Well, I think in this and this this day and age, I think we've got a bit quite a bit distant uh, from the sense of purpose and the sense of cohesive national identity. Um, and that's how it is today. But I think when you're at the time, especially when I was younger, I mean, I was still, I was born and raised at the time when the Soviet Union and the fear of mutually assured destruction and ideological, global ideological struggle was still very present. And we've grown up in a very abundant, wealthy um, period of time. And so, 
you you start to lose, I think, some of that commitment of like what makes it great. So to your yeah. question, and how do we make to maintain uh, it? How do you maintain it? And I think uh, to your question of what does that mean? Well, I think it means um, freedom. It means the opportunity to try, the opportunity to achieve uh, with minimal limitations. Um, and we don't always get it right as a country. And I think that's what makes it. That's that's part of the American experiment. You have mm-hmm. to recommit to it every single day yeah. Uh, as a person and as a people and as a society. And uh, I think that's an incredible thing. Yeah. When you go around the world um, and you often ask people, what does it mean? With our, our trips that we've done, we take business leaders, our mm-hmm. members, people like you, we've done this together in Cuba. Yeah. Um, but we'll go meet with either heads of state or leaders of countries, business, political, governmental, activists, uh, thought leaders. And oftentimes... Um, leaders in other countries, if you said, what is your, what does it mean to be X? Uh, it's not as distinct. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, this is a, this is an identity mm-hmm. together. And I think we've lost, uh, unfortunately lost quite a bit of that. But I was, so I was very passionate, uh, very patriotic, um, didn't grow up with much means mm-hmm. by any means. You know, there was a periods of time where we didn't know if we'd, you know, life could fall apart, but we, we kept going. And I think mm-hmm. part of that is because we happen to be uh, we live in this country. And so you were fueled at the time by the idea of having a better life. Yeah. Idea, yeah. And and that there are ideas in the world about what it means to have a better life. And mm-hmm. I wanted to understand that. And how did you I ingest to be information? A, a vehicle for that. Like, how did you learn? Well, at that time, I just became very curious. I would, you know, there would be like Hare Krishna guys in the airport and I'd go talk to them. And um, my mom loves telling that story. I would go. That's so I just like talking to people. Um but then as I, it was really interesting after I, I was injured and then after moving to Texas, I wrestled for a, a, a little while, but once I started getting into different things, um, civics, volunteering, uh, as I mentioned, theater, and so you're exposed to different people and these cross section of different ideas. And so here I'm, uh, I grew up a kid who was really around sports, the overwhelming majority of my life. And then my family owned car washes and ice houses in like South Central and East LA and Compton and places like that. So I was fortunate to always be around different types of people and things. And then in Texas, here I am, it's Texas, it's conservative, I'm doing theater, and I made all kinds of like LGBTQ friends. And uh, then that was interesting. And I'm getting to discover how people develop their own journey. And then I go to uh, this honors program and you're studying humanities. You're studying what makes life worth living. What is mm-hmm. what is that journey? What is the meaning of life? And then I go to Berkeley and it's you cannot have a sense of the world uh, or even remotely have a whiff of opinion about it at somewhere like Berkeley and someone not completely jump into your face. Mm-hmm. And so that I think was sort of being go, throwing into the, the frying pan of, you know, whoa, I have to really think a bit more sharply about what I believe and um Mm-hmm. And why? And was there a certain cause that you felt super passionate about in college? Well, I was in college during nine eleven, uh, and so oh, I started. Such a baby. <laughs> I started to see um, that you know it was of the own exposure to my as an adult. You didn't. We didn't really have a sense of what does evil in the world look like, mm-hmm. and and people coming after us because this was again after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and on Berkeley's campus, it kind of unleashed all these forces of um, a lot of bitterness about this country and our role in the world. And I was very confused by that. Um, and so that that 
led me to a lot of of, of searching, of understanding the issues, mm-hmm. understanding how people come to certain conclusions. Um, and so it was kind of an awakening, I think. But I was already I was already philanthropically active. Um, I, we would do run children's hospitals of that run uh, teddy bear drives for the children's hospital of Oakland. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to help people. Um, and so doing a lot of community service and then becoming politically active, especially on Berkeley's campus, uh, you just get exposed to a heck of a lot of different points of view. I'm sure. And so all of this sounds like it's like perfectly aligned to taking you through a journey to lead you to Gen Next. But how did that even come to be? Let me give a look first the why. Yeah. Because I mean, yes. you did mention in the intro the premise. Um, and I think it's the world looks better in the future if the best and brightest today are really understanding the issues that are going to shape it. And we live at a time where we're com- complaining all the time, sometimes with good reason, about the lack of leadership in our country. And we live at a time when there's a breakdown in institutions and there's a breakdown in trust. And I think that's because there's a breakdown in in developing our own leaders and our own sense of purpose. Um, and so we exist to help these wildly talented, influential people who all have enormous social capital. They have followers. They have companies. They have families. And so we help them understand what are the issues that shape the world What now? What are the issues that shape the world in which our kids are going to grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, and then along the way, we take on some big ideas. So if you're looking for the quick soundbite, it's a community of leaders who are uh, taking on and overcoming and creating opportunities for future generations. Yes. And so the themes, as far as the things that Gen Next cares most deeply about, um, why do you think those are the three? And if you want to talk about them. Yeah. Economic opportunity, education and global security. Yeah. Why do you think, think those are the three that matter most? And when people start talking to you about all sorts of other subjects that are you know, important, why are those the three that Gen Next you, focuses on the most? What has the longest tail and the widest reach of uh, to shape and drive and create prosperity? There's a lot of other functional issues mm-hmm. underneath those, in some cases outside of those, mm-hmm. that you know, people are, that they're important. Mm-hmm. But we try to focus, you ever heard the term, a rising tide raises all ships? Yes. So we try to focus on the tide. And we believe that those three issues are, those are what move the tide. Mm-hmm. What's your biggest challenge as far as um, people understanding what Gen Next is? I think it's a, it's a, well, these are my words, but it's a big idea. It's a romantic idea. We're we're taking on a lot. You know, mm-hmm. we're solving a leadership deficit. We're dealing with security issues. We're dealing with education issues. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays, people want everything easy, and they want it short sighted, and they want it pithy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are saying, no, no, it's important to be on a journey. It's important to be in a community. It's important to take the long view. And so, how do you have the rigor of measurement and analysis, but the the beauty? of uh, personal growth and civic life mm-hmm. uh, and a sense of purpose, those are, those are some, we live in a time today where people want more of the former than the latter and they want it now. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's, it has more to do with that. Um, but if you're just saying, I think it's, it's a big idea and mm-hmm. we're trying to accomplish a lot and we're at a stage as an organization where we're still relatively wrong, we're young relative to how, how impactful and larger we want to be. Mm-hmm. And so as you grow, things start to be more refined. Yeah, and you've been the CEO now for 10 years? 10, 11 years as this iteration, and then we were working on sort of a precursor to the organization for a few years, and that would, so that would total 14. Wow, 
And so what are you at this Can we take stage? that as an example, like, wow. right? Like, what are you most proud of right now? Oh, I, I mean, obviously, speaking at the White House was uh, crazy. I actually think it is sitting across from you oh, right you now. And quiet. that's, no, I'm not being, I'm not trying oh, to be God. cute. Anybody, yeah. you can't see him, but he's actually very cute. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now I he's think, blushing. I am. And he's well-dressed. I, I think that if if my premise is that I want people um, who are who are wildly accomplished and deeply purposeful to take an interest in what's going on in the world, if if that's my motivation and to help facilitate that journey, then sitting across from you is one of the most impactful things that I could possibly do in this world. Because I think that your journey and then the and you aggregate all of the different members that we have like you, um, you start to have a long tail of impact well over time. Yes, we've we've done uh, collaborations with Google and or Jigsaw, technically Google's tech incubator, mm-hmm. on countering violent extremism. And we've really helped define the space on online and offline de-radicalization um, against both jihadists and uh, white supremacists and all of the forms. And I think that's how I ended up at the White House. Uh, it was the Obama White House. And then um, we've worked with, at this stage, Interpol, um, law enforcement, U.S. Congress. It's, it's, it's been exciting, and I think we should be really proud of that. Our membership has grown to hundreds of people across, all over the country. And when mm-hmm. I started, we had you know, eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have good relationships with elected officials of everybody from the governor of Arizona, who's a Republican, and the governor of Colorado, who's a Democrat. And at this day and age, you just don't see enough of that level of kind of depth, collaboration, intention, thinking about where the world is going. So all these things I am very, very proud of. Um, and what do you do to stay informed? I mean, I read a lot of stuff, but I'm also in a, a role where I like we content is a big driver and people like our business is people and ideas. And so I have no shortage of the opportunity to get access to information. But now with there's so much fake news, there's so much going around. I don't like, pay attention. Do you, I do, do not pay read? attention to the 24 hour news cycle. I would strongly discourage people from paying attention to the 24 hour news cycle. I think it's, it's bad mm-hmm. for our country. Um, so I don't really pay attention to that. But I. I read books. I read op-eds. I read articles. I know the things that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. so I look for those. And it's everything from ocean exploration to um, you know, politics to you know social and upward mobility. Uh, it's it's a full range of interests. But I mean, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have email newsletters. I have podcasts. I have books. I have access to the same information everybody else has. I think I just curate it in a way that helps me have a broad intellectual diet um, because I have a broad set of interests and things I care about. Mm -hmm. And so when you go to some of these delegations in these other countries and you're meeting with heads of state, what do you do to prepare? They're looking to you. Yeah. Study up. (laughs) So if we have experts in our community, we'll go to them. Mm -hmm. Um, If we have, we'll do briefings. Like I remember we did a delegation to China and we went to uh, Beijing, Shanghai, and Qingdao. And we got a briefing from a few top experts and who are uh, non-governmental, and we also got briefings from the government. And you learn mm-hmm. things like, you know, don't mention the three T's, T- uh, Tibet, Taiwan, and Tiananmen. Don't talk about that. And we're like, well, why? Why? What's, what, what is that? Um, and so that opens a whole new level of doors, and that's just through the course of preparation. Um, we how, just how got did you back. prepare for this last trip? I want to know so, Yeah, so this last trip we just did, it was themed after... The world feels, and may, 
feels very fragmented and very rudderless today. Uh, not just in our country, this is happening all over the world. Uh, and you sort of start to, how do you, why? What's going on? When do you pinpoint this? And so the last time that there was the perception of cohesion or stability was during the Cold War. And you had two major powers. And so 30 years ago, this year, the Berlin Wall fell. So we wanted to see what what does the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, from 30 years ago teach us about the politics today and the politics of where we're going to go and the type of world our kids are going to grow up in. And so we went to Berlin, met with uh, leaders of Angela Merkel's party, the Chancellor of Germany, and did um, went and toured the wall. We met with survivors of a Soviet prison. We met with a refugee from East Germany. And we just... You don't hear these stories anymore, and especially in the United States. I still think people have extraordinary hardship today around the world that we just don't even, unfortunately, it's not reported. But at this time, you, there was the world was living under severe, half of the world was living under severe oppression, and people were desperate for freedom. And so we got to meet these people who struggled for it and what that looked like. Then we went to Poland. Uh, we went to Auschwitz to see what horror and terror looks like and what what is and could be at stake. Uh, we went to Gdansk, where uh, Lake Walensa is. And so we got to meet with President Walensa, who built a thriving European country. He's a founding father of this country. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was a, just an electrician, a shipyard worker, who decided that he believed in freedom and democracy and organizing workers. And it totally stabbed the... Uh, uh, figuratively stabbed the Soviet Union in the eye and that it helped precipitate the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the freedom that's unleashed in the world. So we got to meet with him and a number of others uh, who are leaders of this movement. And then we went to Warsaw. And so when I'm preparing for this, I'm reading the stories of the people we're meeting, which are extraordinary. Um, I'm reading about the politics of the time. In this case, you have many decades. So, you know, books. If you like the Cold War, there's a there's a book called, I think it's just called The Cold War, A Brief History by Gaddis, G-A-D-D-I-S. And um, fascinating, great book, good summary. Yeah, watched a little bit of like Red Dawn, mm-hmm. and you know yeah. some of the old, uh, some of the old pop culture. And we made a playlist, and you hear <laughs> the music at the time where you have U two. You know, all New Year's Day by Bono is really about the Polish solidarity movement, uh, or by U two. So this is sort of like Wilhelm inspired. Uh, Sting you know, has a song about the Russians saying they'll destroy everybody, and like people are really, you know taken by what was going on in the world. Yeah. And we've just, I think it's really important that you go revisit that so you get really reminded of what's it, what is it could be at stake. Oh, absolutely. Because the world, the, the big you'll saying, repeat it if you don't yeah, know the, about the, that's it. That's a big saying in the Jewish community, like never again. Mm-hmm. And same thing with um, 9-11, never again. Yeah. And these things, like you just think that they would not happen. They're, they're just, but things don't happen again unless Anti-Semitism is at a all-time, all-time high. high. Yeah. We, well, to that point, we have a, we have a project that we've done, we call them ventures, because mm-hmm. we do venture philanthropy styled work, which means we'll get in early stage, help build a team, help build a plan, uh, help invest. And we have a project that, is, that disrupts the, the access to information uh, online for mm-hmm. radicalizing individuals. Yeah. And so if you're a at-risk uh, 20-something-year-old mm-hmm. or teenager who is radicalizing either as a jihadist or a, a white supremacist, mm-hmm. y- you will get content from us that will hopefully de-radicalize you. And 
you know, we found that about 56,000 people in the United States alone last year, and this is an ongoing basis, it spikes, it doesn't go down, it spikes, were searching some combination of how to kill Jews, how to join ISIS. And even after the last El Paso attack, which was largely, I mean, actually explicitly targeting um, Mexican-Americans, you still saw a spike of about five to 600% of search behavior online about how to kill Jews. And so you, this, the, the hatred, um, it is, it has a way of spreading. And especially when you match the access to information technology, com combine that with a sense of uh, loss of identity that people have uh, across the board. You have an opioid crisis, you have suicides are on the rise, terrorism recruitment is on the rise. The, I think this is all related to also the breakdown in institutions and the breakdown in trust and the breakdown in sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe all these things are related because we're, we're living in a time where people just don't know where they fit mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. One of the best, I mean, I love all of the um, programs that we do at Gen Next, but one of the things I loved most, it was actually a really small, intimate thing with the Seattle Police Department where we were listening to three formers. Oh, yeah former extremists mm -hmm. and you think like it's like you picture an alcoholic and you picture them on the side of the road with like a pa brown paper bag yeah and it's like no that's actually not what an alcoholic looks like and these formers were one was a woman and she like lived in a great home she's an incredible mom incredible you know mom yeah. um same with the other guy who had become a jihadist mm -hmm. and some of it was birthed out of like feeling what the woman had been like raped mm -hmm. and she was feeling shame and she found like a relationship with this man who kind of converted her and she was mm -hmm. listening to the wrong music, surrounding herself with the wrong people and was looking for a sense of belonging. And these people kind of brought her in to yeah. their world and they became um, not KKK, but like... They were neo-Nazis. I mean, neo-Nazis. They were neo-Nazis. Yeah. yeah. And it was crazy because I, I felt scared, but then I didn't feel scared. These are just human beings. Well, After, that's good. I, li I like the shift. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Just You just hear that and you're like, these are, especially as a Jew, I'm like, these people are going to have to get me. We did. And, or you. I mean, it, we're, we're, we're not like Aryan nation people. Mm -hmm. And so it can get a little scary. And then you realize these are just human beings who have been misguided. And our job is to like. We got pulled into this. We Gen X got pulled into this a little over 10 years ago. And, and the, the, the argument or the plea, so to speak, was radicalization is spreading in speed and size and forms and um the nature of the threat you just can't kill your way out of it and the the, the recruitment is going to increase and the u.s government um governments in general are not set up to curb the tide of recruitment it is, it is usually an identity driven problem and you know how how many politicians or bureaucrats or government leaders are, are effective at connecting with somebody who's struggling with a sense of identity. And so they needed the agility of technology and people in civil society. So mm -hmm. we got pulled into it. And so, you know, your observation about their journey, I think, is something that more people need to get exposure to, to understand the nature of the threat mm -hmm. on one side of it. Now, they're definitely not naive. They're bad guys and they need to be killed. And there are plenty, though, people who, if we could get there early enough, they might not have ended up being a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And we have these formers uh, who will tell you that they de-radicalize. They radicalized often, you know, trauma or a sense of um, uh, wandering mm -hmm. you know, will lead them there. But they often de-radicalize. It's not usually a moment. It's more of, it's not an over event. Time. It's over time. It's a process, not an event. And they will, um, 
it's usually someone who kind of reached out to them, mm-hmm. uh, someone who saw, sort of gave them a different point of view that they never thought, and it planted a seed of doubt. And over time, that seed gets watered, mm-hmm. and then they end up being living lives that are not just full of redemption, but also uh, highly effective in helping us prevent more terrorist attacks mm-hmm. and more individuals being recruited to radical, violent organizations. Mm-hmm. One of my things that, and I am probably your worst nightmare because I'm always pushing you on this, but is the like, hey, but what are we doing? Like how exactly, what is the measurement of what Gen Next is doing? Yeah. Because all of this is aspirational and it's great and I get it's a big, lofty, huge goal, mm-hmm. but are there things that you can point to to say, we've made progress? Well, so every form of violent extremist, we have a few hundred of them now, uh, is a measurement of impact. Uh, every one of you know, one of the founders of our network of former violent extremists, he's he's personally um, recruited out of violent groups about four hundred, and that's one example. Online, uh, this is an evolving space, and so it's important to get in there before. You even know what mm-hmm. the ultimate metric is going to be. You're focused probably more on KPIs mm-hmm. than certain than certain metrics. But you get into the space and you realize how many people do you need to reach? I referenced 56,000. And how many of those 56,000 56, will interact with this? Well, we know it's about 3% that are the highest risk population. Mm-hmm. We know that of those 56,000, of the jihadists, women tend to consume the content quite a bit more than men. We know that... They also tend to like Rihanna and Taylor Swift and terrorist leaders. We know that. That's you, interesting. Now I you love could, Rihanna and Taylor. Uh, yeah, I went well, to both of those I'm, concerts. Now I'm worried about you. You shouldn't <laughs> be. I just, I, I swear it was, it wasn't so, me. So on some of these initiatives, you you figure out the right measurement. Some of those are reach. Some of it's KPIs. Um, but if you, but I also believe that you, if you want to measure the distribution of idea, ideas and journeys, then you track the pathway. You don't track a destination. Mm-hmm. You tra- and, and so as an example for us, our members, you know, oh, you say you want to shape a leadership class in our country. So what does that mean? Are you going to measure how many people run for office? Are you going to measure how many people are on nonprofit boards? Are you going to measure how many people write books, uh, how they learn? Are they going to change the conversations they have at dinner tables or over podcasts? You know, you could do that all day long. You could say measure, measure, measure. But it is some certain certain things like the, a sunset, a friendship, a marriage. Uh, they don't. They shouldn't be measured, mm-hmm. or they should. You shouldn't be overly rigorous about it. Mm-hmm. You, you should support, get a structure to bring that journey to some type of fruition. But that could go in many different directions in a free society, and that's what we live in. I like it. So I we're very rigorous about measurement. I mean, no, we're no, dealing I get with it. like I get we're it. dealing it's with like the Google and the, and the FBI yeah. and but I think that we do to my point previously is people really want like what is it measurement measurement measurement. Uh, I could give you those answers all day long, but I always feel the need to push back because I think that 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 journey and ideas and giving that time um, is totally undervalued um, and and and. Just there's a shortage of it today. Mm-hmm. And so when you're trying to find members, because I know that I had a couple friends who told me about Gen Next and they loved it. And I think they had just gotten back from the World War II trip mm. um, or China. Anyway, they were just going on and on and on. And I joined without coming to any events. I, I like just, that. You're I, decisive. I, yeah, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> well, honestly, I joined because I was curious. And it was an area of my life that I needed to round out because I'm not kind of... Um, 
involved in any way with politics. And I wanted to be in a room with people having conversations that have all sorts of different views and mm -hmm. have it be comfortable yeah. to talk about and to learn. Um, and I also wanted to feel safe. So I was probably most drawn to education and um, global security. I mean, obviously economic prosperity is yeah, you're a, important. You're a pretty impressive entrepreneur. But I felt like I, I was like, okay, I'm around a lot of business leaders, but I'd like to learn as much as I can about what the situation is with our education system, how we can improve it, what kind of world we're raising our children in. And so um, it's been great. But what are other traits that you look for in members? I also think it's special to be attracted. You mentioned you know, you're always around impressive people or you're you know, well, you're, you're an entrepreneur, yeah, business-minded. You're uh, around other accomplished leaders, entrepreneurs, executives. Um, but I, I think it's also nice to be around people who are not defined by their status. They're kind of defined by their aspiration. Um, they're defined by their sense of purpose, their curiosity. And so we take that magic and deploy it on these big issues that shape future generations. So what we, to your question of the type of experience we try to create uh, as we build a leadership class and take on these big issues is we try to make sure we attract not just wildly accomplished people, but people who are really curious, like as you said, uh, people who are very purposeful, people who like to have a really good time because sometimes these issues do get really heavy. Um, also create an environment for learning. The other thing that we do as part of the experience is we make sure that knowledge is generated and distributed. And we do it in a really dynamic way. It's it's pretty remarkable to take a group of leaders and the group of members that went are extremely impressive human beings, uh, take them to go you know meet a figure of history and understand what is motivating them and talk about you know, where is the world going and what are we what are we not paying attention to that we need to pay attention to. Um, and I think just committing your life or a portion of your life to a legacy that is impactful outside of your business and your family. Oh, yeah, that's huge. One of the things when I first met you that I, I figured when they said, oh, you've got to meet Michael, you've got to meet Michael, the CEO, I pictured a like 60-year-old man. Like they were talking about <laughs> you or like you were this oh, wow. like real legend and, and you really have such an impact um, on everyone that you meet. But I, you walk in and I'm like, oh, my God, he's like a hot... <laughs> Well, <laughs> young. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna get sued. No, I'm, I'm not gonna sue. It's but guy. you know. But you know what I'm saying. And, and and I remember when I sat down with you, you talked so much about your wife Jenny, mm -hmm. and you talked about your children, and that basically your purpose was to give them a better life. Yeah. And to help drive kind of where our country is going to the extent that you can. Yeah. And I thought that that was um, just so defining as far as who you are. I thank you. I literally, I, when, I, when I do pay attention, see headlines, pay attention to what's going on in the world um, from a headlines, news, current events standpoint, I will usually ask myself, do I think my kids or their kids are going to see the same headlines? Hmm. And if, I, if I, the answer is, is yes, then I start to really think about the difference that we can make uh, on, around those headlines. So mm -hmm. countering violent extremism. It's a, that's not just a frightening threat from the per point of view of we don't want to die mm -hmm. or we don't want to go to war. It also is a, it, it, the real purpose is to change our way of life. That's the point of terrorism. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to grow up in a world that's not just not paranoid, but I think less free Mm -hmm. And making those trade-offs, mm -hmm. you know, or you read or you see the headlines about the state of our education system or are losing our sense of competitiveness and pursuit and the value of free enterprise um, and community and civics and institutions. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, and I my kids seeing leaders like you know like you and our members and you know hopefully my wife and me who take an interest in what's going on in the world then they will go and take an interest in what's going on in the world and mm-hmm. and they will be more effective at that time and that's I think the generational promise that we have to make over and over and over again but you need people to pay attention to it I, yeah. I think more than money more than time attention is a much more powerful currency yeah I uh, agree and so you said your children how many children are we at now uh, we're at four four uh, yeah as of, uh, yeah as of uh, actually um, well at tech, as of August 10th as of but August also 10th. Uh, sort of as of um, yesterday because okay. all of our kids came to us with these very different how, journeys how old, are, how old are your kids now? so I have a nine year old Okay. Uh, I have a nine-year-old son, yeah. and so he was a he was a very pleasant surprise, and he is every single day. He's incredible. I have uh, twin daughters, uh, who are also it's funny. You know, one of them was talking to me yesterday about being a veterinarian. The other one wanted to be a pilot, and um, they all and then they also want to raise and and lead a family. And then my son and they, they were can. talking about what does that mean, and it was just super cute. And then. Uh, my so the twins were also surprised they're fraternal twins, and then uh, we adopted a baby boy this week. Yeah, that is so. I have so to have a cool. boy. So he's very young. So. Yeah, a little itty bitty infant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge, huge. Congrats. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited for you, and I've never met your children, but seeing you light up when you talk about them yeah. is is really nice. And I think that um, I know that men are playing a bigger role in the household these days than ever before. But to see them not just, oh, hey, I'll help you change a diaper. Oh, hey, I'll help, you know, make dinner or I'll send you off while I watch the kids kind of like a babysitter. Being like an engaged dad who's thinking about shaping little people Mm -hmm. is unique. When I got home from our uh, trip to Germany and Poland, the the kids really wanted to know. what is it? And I was funny watching my uh, one of my daughters ask, wait, what were the soldiers like at that time? And then my son trying to piece together the timeline between Gorbachev and Stalin. <laughs> he's not super wonky about it. It's just he's these are these are these are epic stories to him. And they should be. They should be to all children uh, because they are. They should be all to all adults because they are epic stories of human struggle and how we achieve. And so he was asking, like, what? Because I was, I had, our hotel was right by where uh, President Reagan said Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall, and so we were talking about that. And then we go to Poland, and I was, we're learning about the the ghetto uprising in Poland, and we're learning about the Warsaw uprising in Poland. And usually in World War II lore, you only learn about France and 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 Western Europe and D-Day, which is all really important. But we forget that a a lot of the Jews in Poland were. Part of the reason why Hitler invaded Poland was to ex- try to exterminate them as quickly as possible. And you learned that Hitler was totally crushing Warsaw. These people fought, uh, the Polish fought uh, ferociously to try to keep their country alive, to try to hold him at bay, uh, even though they were occupied very early. And then in the Battle of Warsaw in 1944, in the same year that we went and um, did Operation Overlord D-Day, Hitler is crushing Poland, and Stalin is waiting for him to crush Poland before he sends in the Red Army. And then he wanted to go in and kind of occupy it. It's more, it's done more easily. And you teach a child this, you learn about vigilance and 
what uh, morality is and, and why, why weren't we playing a role? What role were we playing? And you start grappling with those questions at a really young age. And I think for the rest of his life, he's probably going to pay attention to what's going on in the world quite a bit differently. And or so even just right next to him on the playground. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's got correlations that are like more simplified for yeah. their age to be like, hey, you don't just stand by. You don't just stand Exactly. I mean, he was saying that the recent, just he was saying that actually yesterday about some kids at school who were being yeah. mean to each other. And he's like, we can't let people do that. Right. <laughs> it is interesting. I love that he pays attention to these things and as much as he pays attention to I think it's, cartoons I th- and video games. Well, I think it's awesome. Um, okay. I have a couple of like personal questions for you. I know you're meditating now and you're journaling. What do you do to just when I'm not meditating? Chill. Chill? When yeah, I'm just not? chill. I mean, just like oh, like brain uh, candy. Like I'm not going to focus on uh, nothing. Uh, well, a hot tub and margaritas okay. with the kids and the family right. and my wife and just chilling. Sounds like an interesting combo. Yeah, we all do. Night, um, night, they, they will literally come in and like, hey, yeah, daddy, can we get some margaritas? And uh, right. they know mine has tequila and theirs doesn't. And then, um, so that that's the that's the big one. I think is just time with. Um, my family is a big one. And then if I want to just like totally let loose, like a, a day party on a beach in Mexico with a DJ and oh, have a good time. Okay. Done and done. Yeah. <laughs> when are we going? I'm like, yeah. you had me Even at better. DJ Mexico. <laughs> you can be in the hot tub with the kids. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> have fun with that. Um, sometimes I feel fascinated by how people manage their time. Do you have a game plan, or are you just are you on your heels, yeah. kind of taking stuff I as think it it's comes? All the, I just try to make the best of all the productivity literature. I mean, okay, um, so tell us what to do. Give us the cliff notes. You develop your judgment about what are the most important things to focus on. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm not this awkward me answering this question because I'm not an expert on this. Yeah, but you think, you get a lot done I, to read as much as you read, to I travel, think, the time um, with the kids. I mean, you get a lot done in a day. I mean, you're not in this because you're some, like, hedge fund manager with, like, 17 assistants. Yeah. No, it's all know. passion for me. Yeah. The uh, But we have, one, our our membership base is really involved, as you know this. You're not, like, you're not just members. You're not customers. You're not donors. You're not, you're more like, employees that are really involved. Uh, and so that helps. Our team, we have a really diverse and dynamic and really passionate team of a little over about 20. Um, and so that's really incredible. So that helps. And I think just my couple simple tricks are, I think, one, the meditating and journaling actually helps a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it forces, it course corrects a lot of what's going on in your unconscious. Uh, and I think that too often people um, let the unconscious drive you without knowing. And then I also try to make it a point each day to have an, I know what I need to accomplish that day, so I have to make it a point to do that first. Uh, Is it otherwise, a task I'm, I'm or gonna, like a... It could be a task. It could be a a decision that needs to be made. It mm-hmm. could be um, you need to brainstorm something. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and I need, need to figure out. And when you need brain space, do you have a place that you go? Like, I just need to think mm. and write or think and no. map this out. No, I will do it in my um, car. Hot tub. I will do it. Yeah, I will, <laughs> I will meditate in the in the, my office, in the, in the Jeep at home. It doesn't matter. You I think there's to. an element, too, of kind of, the a- yeah. former athlete of me, which is like, you just, just go do it. Yeah. Less thinking, more yeah. doing. But it is so, it, I think the bigger thing for me, actually, somebody said to me, one of our members who's very successful entrepreneur, um, and I, I asked him this question. I was like, what do you, how do you, God, how do you have so much time? And he said, it's not time management is a myth. It is all about controlling the decisions you make. And, and so if I could get really good at making decisions about where I spend my time and where I dedicate my attention. And, and that doesn't mean... 
I think it does. I mean, in some sense, in effect, it means learn to say no more. No, no, no. I love I, it. I just had a little like aha Oprah moment because I do find that I'm making decisions that I'm like, why am I doing that again? Yeah. So the more that, the more proactive and intentional that you can be about the decisions that you make over time, you'll get more leverage. You'll accomplish more. The riffraff will phase out. Yeah. Well, since you've listened to every podcast, which is like beyond flattering and amazing, you know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. But you probably prepared something fabulous. Well, <laughs> oh, I don't know what's coming next, but we'll see. No, I might just try to mess you up here. No, but really, what fuels you? I mean, I th- a legacy, but I think um, and having having a meaningful legacy. And so that's a comment. One of your guests talked about um, identifying, I think it was Richard Tate, said oh, God, uh, your gift. You finding your gift. Um, I love Richard Tate. Community, connection. Um, I think life is this balance between ambition and gratitude. And those things aren't intention, but I think you need to find a way to keep those things moving together. And so, and then if you, if you could put your gift to work in that context, then I think you'll have a pretty powerful legacy. And so, um, yes, my kids fuel me. I mean, obviously, but I mm-hmm. think how, when well, I think of connected. that, Legacy it's all connected. Kids, yeah. So when I think like, how do I answer that question? What enables me to deliver, show up for people and ideas that I care about? I think it is being very, trying to be very intentional about developing a legacy. And I don't mean ca- in a calculating way. I mean more day-to-day, moment-to-moment, value-to-value. I love it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm so grateful. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.